The series on relationships, I believe the title is uh, Relatability, Finding God's Connections in Relationships. Uh, nice long title. But uh, that's the key though, relationships. You know, if you can consider uh, being a believer, being a Christian, it's all about relationships. If you really think about this for a second, uh, from this side of heaven and into eternity, it's all about relationships. Isn't that amazing? Uh, the Godhead is related to us. Wow. Uh, because of our faith in Jesus' victory at the cross, at the empty grave, therefore we're related to one another because we're part of his spiritual body, the body of Christ. Right? We don't see Jesus' head floating around. His body's attached to it, but not the physical body he had on the earth we're talking about. That metaphor of us becomes the body attached to the head of his church, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know when you read your Bible, do you ever consider it's all about relationships? How about that? If you don't see that, you're not seeing the forest through the trees here. Amazing. Uh, God towards his people, right? The people towards God, the people towards one another. It's all about relationships. Uh, a common word we always hear in the New Testament, brethren. That's a relationship word. And I think we need to take the hint, right? The Bible is a relationship book. That's an amazing statement. Uh, if you read the book of Genesis, all the things we could have wrote, it's all about people. Isn't that something? God chose to make that the majority of the uh, issue here. The Bible is the plan of redemption. It begins in the book of Genesis, how it's revealed through the Abrahamic covenant, ratified by the uh, blood of Jesus. But it comes through people. Isn't that amazing? The relationship, the covenant comes through people. Uh, so uh, we need to make relationships as the brethren a priority and our purpose and a purpose in our walk together this side of heaven. It should be a priority to us. The it's just me and Jesus is wrong. It's you, Jesus, and the body of Christ. Otherwise, you are one incredibly self-centered, selfish person. That is not what the Bible teaches at all. It's Jesus, you, and the body of Christ that you're related to. Uh, and the types of relationships I'm speaking of here just shouldn't happen by a wheel of chance. It should be something that we attempt on purpose. So that's what I want to focus on today, at least, in this opening sermon as we talk about uh, this series coming up, uh, that we need to develop relationships on purpose. That's the point here. We need to do this on purpose. We need to think about this. Uh, it's a time and an opportunity to develop meaningful relationships, <coughs> excuse me, with one another. Truly, no man and no woman is an island unto themselves. Uh, we were never meant to go through this journey in the body of Christ, this side of heaven, alone. But to realize that we're connected with one another in the body of Christ. How sad if you go it alone. Uh, that's not what Christianity is about. Our own church has growth Bible study groups. We have men's fellowships, women's fellowships, and more. Um, and they are, for us in the Lord's church, an, an opportunity to have a true experience of what's called Christian community and fellowship. That's why we have things like that. You know, it's one of the purposes of the Lord's church. You have evangelism, you have discipleship, and one of the purposes is uh, fellowship. We have fellowship as the Lord's church. And you know, of course, this past year 
has been a big hindrance for all of us in developing relationships due to COVID issues. Thank God we see it coming to an end. I don't know about you, but I hate the masks. Uh, you know, we see this coming to an end, but the light that we should be seeing at the end of this long tunnel this past year should be the light of developing relationships on purpose. Uh, I've missed the men's fellowships events, and the gatherings, and opportunities where we rub shoulders against each other in the body of Christ in the Lord's church. Uh, so as COVID comes to an end, perhaps we, would be, should, we should be singing the song they, they used to sing during the Depression. Does you remember what it is? Happy days are here again. And the happy days are happy because we have that real fellowship and relationships again. I don't know about you, but uh, a lot of, I send a lot of cards to people, and a lot of times I always put at the bottom of the card, I miss you. I don't see them. I miss you. We should. It should bother us that we, that we don't see one another like we should. I miss you. And I really, it's, it's a really heartfelt thing. And a lot of people respond in the same way. Uh, as I said a few minutes ago, when we read in the Bible, it's all about relationships. So biblically, we know that how God does things is just as important as how He wants it done and, uh, and what He wants done, what He wants done. So Father God wants the kingdom of God to advance through relationships. We don't have angels popping their heads out of the clouds preaching the gospel. People rub shoulders with one another to share the love of Christ. For because we hopefully we have a love for their souls. And uh, the kingdom advances through relationships. Churches were never meant to hide inside of churches and not interact with the body of Christ outside. I remember we went to a uh, pastor's convention one time. It was held at, in Disney in um, 1998, I think. The, the pastors who were here then all went. It was on uh, the local church. A lot of people there. Uh, most of the conference was run by inner city churches, uh, sharing what they have learned, etc. So anyway, there was this one pastor in Atlanta. He had said that their church had missed it. They had looked at the church as a place to hide in. They didn't want to be associated with people outside the church. Those sinful, you know, rebellious people, we don't want to know them. So they became a, a little hermit church until one day somebody burst through the door bleeding because somebody shot them. And they're running up the aisle and asking for help. And he's staring at the guy and he's trying to speak. And he, also the Lord just showed him, you've missed it. You belong out there, not here. So they made it a point to transform their, their community to Christ. And they did. No one harmed anybody, but drug dealers moved out of the area. Uh, prostitutes moved out of the area. People were coming into the church, finding Christ. They realized we can't hide here. Because the kingdom advances, like I said, through relationships. And that's an important, a very important point. That's why we have things like a food pantry. It's why we've done Lakewood outreaches, et cetera, Seaside Heights. For that purpose, relationships, showing people that they're loved. Uh, so they're very important from the very beginning, relationships in the Bible. God is in them. God invented them, right? He blessed them from the very beginning in the Bible. We see a constant record of God working through people in relationships with one another and with Him. Uh, again, in the book of Genesis, uh, the theme of the book, you find it God working through people. I don't know if I would have wrote the book like that, 
but that's what he chose that the plan of redemption would come through people. Uh, you see uh, Adam and Eve, and it moves to Cain and Abel. It moves to Noah. It moves to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. People. Uh, the book of Genesis reveals that, and we notice it immediately. God is working through people. And then Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, they become uh, the nation of Israel. More people. Then we get to the, the uh, kingly line of David and his successions. More people. Then God speaks to them through prophets, more people, and all of them point to Jesus. In Jesus' earth walks, we find uh, Christ continues the church through his disciples, other believers, so we have more people. So God could relate his love to more people. Uh, we got to get that. If we're not getting that, I don't know what book you're reading. It's a people book. How about that? You wouldn't think that at first, but we're dealing about a people book here. And um, uh, Jesus, when he issued it, uh, ushered in the kingdom of God, he did it through relationships. He has 12 disciples. And then when you get to Luke 10, he's got 70 that go out from him. Doesn't give us their names. Whoa, this is an extended level. Another group beyond the 12. Wow. And he obviously is working out the plan God gave him, right? We know he went to prayer. It tells, it tells in Scripture. And uh, through prayer, he picks his 12 disciples. He gets that. It's a revelation from heaven, obviously. He's doing it in a way that wouldn't be done normally, which brings me to this. Uh, this was from the 1980s. So if you know this, don't tell anybody. Um, be surprised. What if Jesus went to a management company and looked for advice? So here's a letter to Jesus. That's what it's called. Uh, from a management company. And it says, To Jesus, son of Joseph, woodcrafters, carpenter shop, Nazareth. It's from the Jordan Management Consultants. Dear sir, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you have picked for managerial positions in your new organization. All of them have now taken a battery of tests, and they, we have not only run the results of the test through our computer, but also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and our vocational aptitude uh, counselor. Uh, the profiles of these tests are included, and you'll want to study each of them very carefully. As part of our service, we also want to make some general comments for guidance. Uh, much as an order would include these general statements, uh, they are given as a result of our staff consultation, and they come without any additional fee. It is our staff's opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you're undertaking. They do not have a team concept. We would recommend that you continue to search for persons of experience in managerial ability and proven capability. Simon Peter, for example, he's emotionally unstable. He's given to fits of temper, and did you know he carries a weapon? Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, sons of Zebedee, place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale in your organization. We felt also our duty to inform you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. <laughs> James, the son of Ophias, and Thaddeus definitely have radical political leanings. And they both registered very high on the MMPI on the manic depressive scale. 
One of the candidates, however, does show great potential. He's a man of ability, resourcefulness, meets other people well, has a keen business mind, and, can, and has contacts in high places. Even the Pharisees respect him. He's highly motivated, he's ambitious, and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. All the other profiles, well, they're self-explanatory. We wish you every success in your new endeavor. Sincerely, the jo Jordan Management Consultants. That's what Jesus would get if he went to the world for help. But the truth is, he doesn't uh, find people qualified in men's eyes to do the work of the kingdom of God, right? Jesus qualifies the unqualified, doesn't he? Amen. Um, and of course, that's us as well. He takes uh, nobodies and makes somebodies out of them. That's what Jesus does. Uh, he equips us. So, and he does that when you look at the Gospels all through, you should know this by now, relationships. How about that? All through relationships. In fact, that new series they have uh, that you can streamline, The Chosen, that's about the, that's about the disciples, how he chose them and how they interacted. It's a very relationship series, which is amazing. Uh, so, God also reveals to us in His Bible, in the Word of God, that there are right relationships and wrong relationships. There's difficulties in relationships. To be alive this side of heaven, you know that by now. Uh, hopefully, we'll examine that in the Sundays ahead as times allows, as the pastors will bring them forth. Um, God spends a lot of time in the Bible highlighting the wrong relationships so we can learn from them. As it tells us in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, for everything was written in the past, that was written in the past, uh, it is written to teach us so that through endurance and encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. The Bible is full of teaching us how to avoid the mistakes other people have made, if we will pay attention. Uh, hopefully we will, and to learn what was right and what was wrong. Uh, as early as the book of Genesis, for example, you have Genesis chapters 12 and 13. Abram uh, leaves and brings Lot with him. God doesn't tell him to bring Lot with him. Lot becomes trouble. God doesn't start talking to Abram until Lot is gone. Wow, because a wrong relationship was started. Amazing stuff that we learn all by these relationship examples. So there are many, many more relationship developmental issues in the whole Bible as well uh, that we can look at. Of course, due to time, we can't. But we do realize, though, uh, relationships in life are very important, especially if you think about most men later in life when they review their lives, and they do, uh, most of the regrets they have in life are usually in regards to relationships that they had in life, often areas where they failed. Nobody on their deathbed wants their money near them. They want their family near them. They want relationships near them. And that is one reason in life why uh, people fail in some of their accomplishments is due to not having good relationships. So many are alone and isolated, and that is not healthy. Uh, there's an amazing example for example, for example, in the difference between Presidents Eisenhower and Nixon. I like reading history stuff, and um, the historian Stephen Ambrose was biographers, uh, he was a biographer to uh, Eisenhower, but he wrote biographies on Eisenhower and Nixon. I read them both, they're excellent. 
uh, he noticed that Eisenhower was a man that deeply prized friendship. In fact, he was the excellent and most best choice in World War II for the Supreme Commander because he built coalitions with relationships. He could be trusted by others because he, he prized all his life friendship very highly. Yet, Nixon was a very different man, a man very distrusting, and he wouldn't let people get too close to him and had no real friends in life. Uh, Ambrose recounted a story because Ibern, he was Eisenhower's biographer where Eisenhower had told him one time that he said to his secretary how his then vice president, Richard Nixon, that he couldn't understand how a man could go through his whole life and have no friends. And you know, if Mr. Nixon had closer relationships in life, he would probably have escaped many of his own troubles. Uh, so we can see here also a leadership principle that when we develop any ministry, if you bypass relationships to grow something, the fruit is usually never very good or it fails because God works through relationships. You can't do it alone. Uh, Father God intends that we take relationships very seriously. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, for example, it says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Well, you can't do that unless you're in a relationship with somebody. Verse 25, uh, let us not give up meeting together as are in the habit of some doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Uh, it's a bad habit to shun fellowship. It's a bad habit not to be fellowship with one another. Oh, and by the way, these people aren't perfect. So glad you are, but these people aren't perfect, right? Relationships we find take effort. Yes, they do. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, bless you, in verse 12, it tells us uh, the body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all these parts are many, they form one body, so it is with Christ. Verse 26, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you, verse 27, now you are all the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. And of course, we know in that chapter, it, it shows us clearly we need one another. We should be connected to one another, not just a Sunday-only church experience mentality. That's not going to do it. We need to be related to one another. It takes an effort of time. It takes a tolerance. And yeah, it takes a lot of forgiveness, doesn't it? Relationships take a lot of forgiveness because that other person is important to us because of Christ is important, and I'm related to them because of the Lord. So in developing relationships, um, people should have something in common. We know that. But enough differences to learn from. Uh, the church fellowship groups are great opportunities for this. So our Sunday here again is focusing on finding uh, connections in relationships in this series. So I'd like to have us a couple things we should remember. Can I have a PowerPoint slide one? And on PowerPoint slide one here, this is a very important principle we should write down. Always keep this in mind as far as the church is concerned. We should purpose strategic relationships and accept sovereign relationships. Now, what does that mean? Strategic relationships are those we plan for. We should always be seeking out people. My father used to tell me, go find somebody who knows more than you do. 
and learn from them. We should always be trying to find people who know more than us and learn from them. And we should be one who knows more than somebody else so that we can disciple them and be a friend in Christ. It goes both ways. Now, sovereign relationships, those are ones that God sets up intentionally in our lives. We're not looking for them, and these connections happen because God anoints these connections. I remember the first time I met Walter Healy back in the 70s. Not by, that's really somebody I'd hang around. Wouldn't know the guy, really. And, but when I first met him, there was something, I couldn't understand it, but a connection here that I need to follow this out. I need to take this a little serious. Um, you know, one pastor had said, how do I know who I'm responsible for? They seek me out. Those who seek me out are assigned to me. He happens to be right. And I just was like seeking this guy out for, I don't exactly know why, but there's something here. There's something here I want to I wanna follow through on. Who here remembers Dr. Charles Waters? Is anybody? Some hands? Oh, some of you do. Okay. Uh, Dr. Charles Waters was an inner city pastor in Philadelphia. Would not have known a man like this. I was at a church, uh, I was invited to a church uh, uh, dinner outside of Trenton in the very early 1980s, and Charles Waters was there. And as soon as I saw this guy and heard him talk, something instantly connected. You got to know this man. You got to get to know this man. And I kind of like was slow about it. But when the Bible school we, we had here started, I asked him to come teach at it. And we had a pretty close spiritual friendship, knowing the man after the spirit, not after the flesh, as time went on. Both him and Walt have gone home to be with the Lord, but they were sovereign relationships God set up in my life to sow into my life. And thank God for them. Where would I be if they weren't there? So God will set up those sovereign relationships in your lives. We need to look for them. Father God is better at picking our friends than we are. Yes, Father knows best. Amen. And some of these were people you wouldn't consider having in friendship because they have to rub against you. And they will cause you to grow in grace because you've got to forgive them constantly. The prophet Graham Cook calls these people grace growers because they force you to grow in grace. I just have slide two here. Um, there's benefits of relationships. Uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 4, in verses 9 to 12, just to look at this very briefly, verse 9, for two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. That means multiple effectiveness. More can be done together than alone. Uh, verse 10, for if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls. He has no one to help him up. This speaks of help in times of trouble. We need folks around us, right? For helps in times of trouble. In verse 11 here, and again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Now bear in mind, this is talking about people who sleep in the desert. It gets very cold at night. You sleep very close together for a purpose, so you don't freeze. I don't know if you remember the rock group from this uh, 60s, Three Dog Night. They were from Australia, and that meant a, a one-dog night meant you slept with your dog in the wilderness. A two-dog night meant it was cold, you slept with two dogs, and a three-dog night meant it was freezing. You had to wrap three dogs around you to stay warm. It was an Australian expression. <laughs> that means absolutely nothing. I still have a minute to show you. 
have no reason why I did that. Anyway, um, number th verse 11 here, right? Keep warm together. That's the warmth of companionship. Uh, do you realize most of the good memories you have from childhood are filled with people? Think about that. And if you had a bad childhood, guess what memories you do want to remember? The ones filled with people that were nice to you. Isn't that something? That's how important that is, the warmth of companionship. And here in verse 12, though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. Uh, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. It talks about mutual defense, a friend in prayer. And of course, that last verse, it constantly speaks of marriage, right? The husband, the wife, and Jesus. A cord of threefold cord is not quickly broken. And that's an important concept that we have here that we want to hold on to that uh, that friend in prayer. So many people don't have a friend in prayer. You may have a blabbermouth in prayer. You don't want them. You want people, who can you trust to pray for you and keep their mouth shut? We need these people in our lives. Uh, I, I happen to like history movies, and there was a film not too long ago. I think it was about uh, Japan and American World War II. It was called Flags of Our Fathers. And there was, uh, a lot of people here have probably seen the movie, good movie. And there was a quote from the movie, they fought for their country, but they died for their friends. Which is true. That's what talks about uh, the mutual defense with one another here. How about slide three here, PowerPoint slide three. So relationships here, we need to esteem them highly. That means we uh, need to deeply appreciate them in very high regards. We need to value them, which means uh, we place a higher price on them and keep them very dear to us. It's not your Rolex watches and your diamonds, it's friendships that, are, that we highly value. We need to covet them, it means a high desire, something worth protecting. Aren't those the closest to you worth protecting? We need to prioritize them. If we esteem them, if we value them, if we covet them, we're gonna make relationships a priority, which is my point today. Our church has always had a plethora of opportunities to produce both strategic and sovereign relationships. Uh, to not take advantage of, this, advantage of this is really a loss to us. You want to take advantage of this. Uh, so we're going to be receiving communion. Uh, you have it with you. Uh, why don't we get ready there? Uh, as we're ready to receive communion, I'm sure in the Sundays ahead, our pastors are going to bring more in these areas on relationships and issues of relationships, and they'll bless you. So, uh, and they'll give you something to take with you for your Christian walk. That's the purpose here. If we're not giving you something to take with you in your Christian walk, we have missed it uh, to help you in the days ahead. But as we receive communion here, uh, there's so many ways we can look at communion. It just so happens, wow, it works perfect with this topic today because communion is also about relationships. Isn't that wild? Here in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where it talks about uh, Jesus here with his disciples, I didn't look this up in the original Greek before I got here, but when it says uh, the word you, Y-O-U, in English, that's hard for us because it could be singular or plural, right? In Elizabethan English, the is singular, ye is plural. We don't have that in the way we talk, or you're very strange. Uh, you is both singular and plural. Well, in the original Greek here, they're talking here in the plural, where Paul says, I deliver this to you in the plural. And Jesus is saying, my body is broken for you. We tend to look at this as, hey, this is between me and Jesus. 
Yeah, okay, fine. But it's a plural. We're the body of Christ having communion. Uh, in the same way, he took the cup. Uh, do this as often as you, uh, as you drink it. Uh, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim. These are plural yous. All of us are doing this as a group together. Um, he goes on to say here, Paul, that whoever drinks uh, or eats this, uh, drinks, eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner is guilty of the body and bloody of, of blood of Christ. What unworthy manner could it be? Not appreciating the body of Christ, the relationships. It says here, for he who eats and, eats and drinks his blood in an unworthy manner drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. It's not talking about his physical body. It's talking about the plural body of Christ. Look at this in verse 30. For this reason, there are many of you who are weak and sick among you, and many sleep, which would be the biblical word for dying. If we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. That's an amazing statement. Wow. Uh, there was a, a very good teacher uh, who taught on healing and said he believes why, and I agree with him, why so many people in the body of Christ are sickly constantly and die prematurely. They sin against the body of Christ. You can't come here receiving communion, but I won't forgive someone in the body of Christ. You can't do that. You sin against the body of Christ. We got, we got to see this as that communion is not just a Jesus and me experience. I'm related to all of you. How can I have odds against the body of Christ yet receive the Lord's uh, remembrance that he died for my sins? He died for all of our sins. You're important to me. Um, I remember way back when, before we were the Church of Grace and Peace, uh, we were a uh, prayer meeting at, at the Healy's home in a Song of Solomon prayer meeting. And way back in those days, uh, we'd have communion, like now. And Pastor Walt, then Brother Walt, would um, ask someone to pray over the bread, have someone pray over uh, the drink. And um, one particular brother, who the Lord used prophetically quite a bit, uh, kind of looked at the bread and said, you know, these are individual grains, but they're not. They're all mushed together. We don't take this individually. We take this as the body of Christ. And you can't separate those grains. There's grain one, grain two, grain three. You can't do that. You can't distinguish them together. But yet they're individual. But yet they're all mushed together. That's one. And they can't be separated. I'm looking at this guy. I'm going, that's pretty good. <laughs> Wish I came up with that. Gosh. That was like a revelation. And I never forgot that. I, I got the point. We're related to the body of Christ to one another. So as we partake today, remember that we are in covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we remember that um, uh, his death, burial, and resurrection all together, not yet just individually, although we can, but it's together. I need you. You need me. We need each other. The law of love has to dominate our lives or we're nothing. And this is the time to remember that law of love, that um, we need one another. Not to say, I love in word, but show it in deed. Because in that, we honor Christ.
So let's receive communion today with that in mind. Let's partake as the family of God as we remember Jesus made us all one. Let's partake. Can't impress enough about the importance to have a love for the body of Christ. Perhaps first we need a revelation of it to have a love. But it is something this side of heaven we want to pursue. Because one day the Lord will never examine what we had in our heads. He's going to examine what we had in our hearts. Uh, although the head stuff is good, the heart's more important. He will examine the fruit. Yes, absolutely. But somehow all of this revolves around, did we love? Did we learn to love? If we didn't, we missed it by a mile. It's easy to love someone when they love you back, but when they don't love you back, do you love? Do you have a love for their soul? You don't have to be everybody's friend. That's a whole different topic. But do we love? Do we have a love for, for their souls? And you might say, well, how do I know if I do? Would you pray for them like you would pray for yourself? That's how you know you have a love for their soul. Because you should. Because it's a priority. So, uh, I know our pastors have a love for you. We hope you love back. But if you don't, we still love you. Uh, but we have a love for you. And um, we have a love to see each one of you develop. And those watching perhaps on, uh, online have uh, a love for the body of Christ. And that we would have love that has deeds attached to it. That we would be a living organism, the body of Christ. Amen?